1: What is up, everybody? It is very late or early, depending on how you define that. Jeremy Feinstone from Speaking of Strong Style is with me. We just got back from the New Japan show in San Jose at the Civic. I learned it is not the Civic Auditorium anymore. It's just the Civic. Uh, New Japan, Battle in the Valley. We saw a great wrestling show. And after the show was over, Dave Meltzer walked up to both of us and said, "Uh, that's the best show that's ever been in this building. And then I asked him, I said, well, how many shows do you think you've seen in this building? His first answer was hundreds, plural. Then he started doing the math. He's like, well, I think 20 shows a year for four years. That's 80. Some WWE, he, he said at least a hundred. So he's been to a hundred shows there said this was the best show that he has ever seen in this building. Uh, It was a
2: pretty great show.
1: (laughs) And, and yeah, so we got to see a lot of cool stuff. We also got to see some news because there was some connective tissue between this show and the upcoming show in Chicago Mm -hmm. in April. So they, I, I saw some folks talking about, wow, you know, they're actually setting up some stuff for the next show. And I'm like, awesome. Because, if if I could have a New Japan show that did shows in the US and they set up like stuff to get you excited for the next one and they happen more regularly, I might need I might not need any other wrestling to watch. That is not the case, but this was uh, I think this was a really cool attempt because what it does is now you just you're, you're excited for three months down the road. It is like the same pay-per-view cycle as Tony Khan, you know. I guess at least before this last year. So yeah, like three cycles, uh, three months for a pay-per-view cycle. Though, you and I saw this show live, Mm -hmm. and we heard from people in our Discord who were just talking about the production issues that were uh, kind of just almost infuriating to the point of, You know, it's kind of ruining this really good wrestling show and maybe even taking things down a notch because of how frustrating some of that stuff is. Announcers too hot, uh, you know, not not able to level out both of the announcers, the audio on the entrance music being bad. So unfortunately, you know, this is kind of the uh, what happens when the U.S. soil is not your main market. Uh, you run the San Jose Civic, and I was on this last year in that, you know, because you remember the show started late because they couldn't get the pay-per-view feed going. Right. And I'm just like, can we run a, a building that was not built in 1936? Like, is that possible? It's not just the building, though.
2: It's all their shows. Whenever they do a domestic show, there's off this with the audio feed. The lighting, when you switch angles from the camera, doesn't look right. There are issues with it that they promised was going to be fixed with New Japan World doing the upgrading. And it hasn't quite happened that way. And so that's kind of the cross and the burden that you have to live with when it comes to these new Japan shows. And it it takes the big deal aspect away from it when it looks so or you get a reflection of low budgetness when they're yes. watching the feedback that you're getting.
1: Yes, there is a built-in excuse for why you mentioned the low budget, and they're they're just they cannot invest a ton of money in these shows like you would a, mm-hmm. um, you know a AEW's product or whatever. Like it's just it's just a different just, the bank account difference is too too much. But uh, let's go through some of the news that came out of this show first, and then we'll kind of go match by match. We're I, we we're not going to you know it is late. And for those of you who are watching live, uh appreciate it. Our 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 brother Brian is, is checking us out. He was so good with getting the tickets. He was on it. He's like, all right, guys, New Japan is coming. Who's in? I got the tickets. Shoot me a Venmo and and we're good. So we we we've had these tickets forever. So the news, uh, I would say the the maybe the biggest piece of news is uh after John Moxley um Won his match against Shingo, which was a bloodbath and a nutty, nutty, nutty match. Not my cup of tea usually, but I saw how that live crowd reacted to everything, including the crazy near falls where I was kind of making fun of the near falls because Shingo hit this dude with a chain and his lariat and Moxie kicked out and I was like, well, he's how can you lose a match if you kick out of the chain the you know imagine nikita koloff hitting someone the chain that was lights out for about five minutes right so uh but yeah the crowd was going nutty uh for this match and i wasn't totally
2: into the way it ended just because it felt so like it didn't escalate to the level of everything else in the match Moxley hit him with a death rider onto a exposed chair like an open face chair and and that was it and it just kind of felt like that's what
1: put him after away. all the stuff. <laughs> right. That was it. <laughs> That's what put him
2: away. Uh, Maybe it was just like the, the power bar was worn down too much. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Scott E. Wrestling, the king of no sleep, says oh, for us to go oh, to bed. He should talk. Yeah. Scott Scott is just like he he's probably just got his second wind He's ready to watch whatever else is going on. And he's on the East Coast, too. Uh so but after the match, Moxley mm-hmm. cut a promo. Started the promo, and we couldn't hear him. And the crowd booed, and the crowd assumed this was just more janky, New Japan production. And Moxley goes, "Nope, I forgot to hit the button. That one was on me." <laughs> uh, so he cuts the promo and says he's only he only wants one thing, and that is Tetsuya Naito. Now, here's the thing about that, which is Tetsuya Naito has some defenses to happen before he could get to Chicago, which is where they said the show match was going to happen. So they put it on the marquee Moxley versus Naito, but they did not put it for the new Japan title, at least on the marquee. Moxley did not say that he wanted the belt. He didn't even do the pantomiming the belt around his waist. He just said he wanted Tetsuya Naito. So that match is happening. New Japan does not promote title matches when there are other, Title defenses still need to happen. We and have the match. several coming up. <laughs> we have the match with Sonata. There's going to be a New, J- New Japan Cup winner.
2: Potentially an anniversary match against Desperado if he is still the champion. And then Sakura Genesis is going to have the New Japan Cup winner versus Naito. So there are two, maybe three matches. And like I said, they didn't specifically say it was for a title. But we're getting Naito versus Moxley whether it's for a title or not
1: more than likely going to be for a title could be one, yeah. one would think there has been a lot of
2: talk in the new Japan world that the goal for Naito is for him to have a long sustained title reign to really seal his legacy. It would be surprising if he lost the title before then, but not completely unexpected just because of the way new Japan is going right now and throwing a lot of unpredictability to the wall. Uh, but I'm kind of leaning towards it being a title match uh, in the Windy City. The way that they're building this up, there's no reason to downplay how big this match can be to get tickets sold.
1: And with this match happening, mm-hmm. the idea of could John Moxley win the IWGP Championship— The relationship with AEW is there. There is going to be another forbidden door. So if you wanted to do a title switch, you could switch the belt back. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I'm not even, you know, I don't even want to think that far in advance. I know these companies have two distinct differences in strategy in business. But the fact that there is a relationship to me says that there is a chance that they could do this. Um, And I think it'd be great uh, but it has to make fiscal sense for both companies as well. So that is the kind of the the little bit of um, question mark when it comes to this. Because I think, you know, if you are a hardcore, hardcore AEW fan who also understands New Japan, who may have watched Wrestle Kingdom, it is a really big deal to see somebody from AEW television who is not under contract to that company as their main uh, home win that title. It is... You know, what was John Moxley's post-WWE run? Oh, it was this amazing uh, run in New Japan where he just proved himself uh, to a lot of the naysayers who were like, ah, he's just an ex-WWE guy. Like, he can't hang. And, and so that was a proving ground for him. So it would be a nice little uh, continuation to that story for him. But at mm-hmm. the same time, You know, there's so many things that have to happen correctly and deals that have to be struck and partnerships and uh, two companies working together. So, you know, not saying it can't happen, but we'll sort of wait and see and we'll we have to we'll have to figure out where they are around April
2: you're absolutely right about you can do the cooperation. There is a sense that I've had between this new Japan and AEW relationship where it's been a lot of AEW and not quite so much a return on investment for new Japan. But I've been seeing since June of last year with the dominion match where the six man and black will call back club came over and then, uh, going into wrestle kingdom. And now that we have here, uh, we had some unexpected faces from AEW show up. And so now that we have that, maybe we're going to start seeing the AEW product going into New Japan a little bit more with some names that we did not expect that aren't John Moxley that we'll get to at some point.
1: Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But yeah.
2: it's, that's what's most interesting to me is that the heavy lean of the AEW talent that just doesn't have room to breathe over there might have an opportunity to move over to New Japan. And some of the names are really interesting.
1: Just before we get to that initial name, which was the biggest surprise of the night, I thought, uh, I just want to shout out the the crew that we were with. Uh, Miguel Rubio is, is hanging out, watching us live as well. And, uh, you know, we got to hang out for your birthday last weekend. So it's like back to back where we're, we're, we're mm-hmm. hanging out with the crew back to back weeks. Uh, so we got to see uh, our pals, the, the, the Rubio brothers. John LaRocca was there. Uh, Brian, what was there? We even saw Christopher Garcia, who I, I very much enjoy when I get to see him around town. Uh, Got fly take, by
2: for Baby Huey.
1: Baby Huey was there. You can always spot Baby Huey. Baby Huey is, it, when if he's in the crowd and you kind of do just like a, just like a just look through, like I we can always spot him at WWE shows when we're there as well. Uh, so, baby Huey was there. Uh, Dave was there, and his uh, significant other Mito was there, most as well as uh... <laughs> what
2: most of his family wanted to be there. Yeah,
1: well, uh, his son Cody was there, and and Trinity, uh, Cody's uh, uh, longtime partner, was there as well. And then uh, we saw a uh, Roy Lucier. Who is like one of the most passionate wrestling fans you'll you'll ever see? And he was there. Uh, of course, uh, he had to pick Dave's brain. And I'm sure I'm missing folks that that we recognize that were hanging out. Was he out, the but... one
2: wearing the Fantastic United Empire sweater?
1: You know what? I don't know, but it was right when I got there. That's who Dave was talking to. Yeah,
2: that green and uh, the green and gold sweater was a United Empire sweater. I'm like, you're rocking that sweater
1: hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to, you know, it's just so fun when your city host something and all of the people who you know as wrestling fans, they go and they represent and it, you get to hang out. It's like the f- most fun way to watch a show, I think, is, yes. you know, it, that just makes it even better. This was a really
2: enjoyable night, both socially and for just watching wrestling. Just a great night. All
1: right. So the surprise of the night, this happened after uh the match and uh, I want to find the six
2: man match.
1: Six was- man, yeah. Jacob Fatu, Fred Rosser, and Shota Umino beat Team Filthy. Uh, and at the end of this match, uh, Shota Umino won the match for his team. And uh, he gets jumped by a guy who is unrecognizable. I don't know if he's wearing, wearing a luchador mask. Oh, it was luchador mask. It was like
2: Bushi or something, the way, <laughs> the, the, the way the mask was set up. And it, it was not bushy.
1: Unmasks, and it's a young man with you know longish curly hair and uh, a, a frazzled beard and we look a little closer and I w- I look at John LaRock and I go jungle boy and he's like huh jungle boy and so it it's, it, it was jungle boy jungle boy jump showed it umino he got in the ring he uh what was the thing that he put on his arm scapegoat he put a little uh, a little armband that said scapegoat on it and he goes into his jacket he uh takes out what all i saw was giant aew letters on it so it could have just been letterhead but i think it was, we were to assume that it was a contract of some sort mm-hmm. and uh i don't know about where other people work but any contract I've ever signed about employment was like many pages long not one page maybe he just grabbed <laughs> yeah maybe he just grabbed the last page with his signature on it but he tore up his AEW contract so there's something going on with his 2024 as related to how he left AEW in 2023 with uh, CM Punk screaming and yelling at him like a crazy man And so we'll see what happens with Jungle Boy. I think you even said, you know, what if he was coming in for the New Japan Cup, which I thought would be tremendous. Like, that would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, he's... The way that
2: this was laid out seems to be something that's going to be playing out on New Japan programming. Now, if that means that he is going to come to Japan, do a match or two, great. But there's got to be something between now and Chicago... Much like other things have to happen with all these other shows, are we going to get this story played out in AEW? I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it'll be on AEW, or do you think this is going to play out somehow in New Japan?
1: So, if I am, uh, if I am trying to make this thing make sense, now, you know, the 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 him tearing up the contract is directly feeding into what they like to do, which is, you know, they like to swerve their smart fans into thinking, you know, because the AEW fan base, one thing about them is they want to believe that whatever is going on is going to be good. So sometimes they even play into it a little bit more than some smart fans, which is just because they just want it to be cool or whatever. And so the fact that he tore up that contract tells me that they probably want to establish that he is not going to be back in AEW uh, in the, in the very near future. Um, you know, maybe he even does that windy city show as well, because I think that shows in uh, is in Chicago and that is in the mm-hmm. all, all in all out building the wind uh, truck arena. So there's, you know, there's a story in of itself there being that that's, you know, punk's place. So, I would keep him away from AEW television. You could actually, you know, you could maybe show it, but I think even showing it, you're, you're basically saying like, yeah, this is a storyline and this maybe that's all what game, they want.
2: We're, you're gaming the, yeah.
1: Yeah. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe they're fine with that. And I think, again, like I said, I think the fans will play along and the fans will be excited because they're like, oh, something interesting with Jungle Boy. And they're trying, but I did see some people go, wait, Is he gone? I was like, come on. That's exactly like the fact that people
2: believe that he is really like torn up the contract and he's now in New Japan. Just says to me that there is a compelling compelling factor to this that people are already invested in, like, okay, we weren't expecting any of this. So that's that's a successful point, number one. Point number 2 is you have completely forgotten about CM Punk. You've for, completely forgotten about all these other things. You're immediately like, "Okay, the next chapter with Jack Perry is New Japan. This is a pivot left, a hard pivot left from the direction that he was set on before. Okay, I'm interested." He's not he's not the devil. He's not anything going <laughs> on and anything going on in AEW. This feels fresh and this feels like a great opportunity for him, both professionally and creatively. And so I'm just, I, I am optimistic about the whole thing.
1: Our friend Denise says that she was very happy that the Jungle Boy returned. She was a little worried about old Jack.
2: I, I heard from our friend Miguel that uh, he felt that this was the perfect show for his wife to have attended. She would have liked every, car, every match on the card.
1: It was good. It was really good. Um. So yeah. So we'll have to wait and see what they do. I I, I as a fan of storylines like this to kind of do everything that you can. Not that they're gonna fool me, but just so that I see they're doing their due diligence to make it, you know, to make it seem uh, as realistic as possible. I would I would love to not even st- have them talk about him at all. You know, they 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 have a lot of people that they need to get over and if all of this stuff happens through social media or through new japan pro wrestling i'm totally fine with that it's it's a little edgier that way it's less you know excalibur you know screaming about something I, i i'm fine with it like let let's let the new japan folks tell this story for a little while until he's ready to go back
2: i will i will tell you this that forbidden door match between jack perry and sonata was such a mismatch creatively and stylistically. He had no business being in that title match, even for the angle that they were doing on AEW at the time. But setting Jack Perry up with Shota Umino is a fantastic pairing. Mm-hmm. Like, I agree, those two are in very similar places in their careers on the come up. And with the reception, the relationship with the fans and creating dual relationships, both Shota and AEW further and Jack Perry and new Japan, I think is going to do wonders for them both. And it's a great starting point. Uh, I was just, when they were put together and they, and they did that angle of like never would have thought of it, but wow, now I am here. for it. And
1: they're both young, handsome wrestlers. That they're that that is good for a younger fan base to see these two dudes who are still early in their career. They're very athletic. I, it, I think it just makes so much sense. So I, I'm for it.
2: I, I was just like, again, never would have thought of it. And once they did, Mike it made so much sense and I'm glad it's more than just a forbidden door match where they're going to meet once. And this feels like something that they'll draw out here, there and everywhere. And yeah, Shota's got stuff going on with the Ren and then there's going to be the cup. But if Jack Perry's in the cup, if some of these other guys that showed up today are in the cup, all of a sudden we have a very interesting new Japan cup yeah. and a lineup of matches that uh, we could start, you know,
0: Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: Mustafa Ali had a video played and he wants uh, Takahashi, he wants Hiromu. And that is also going to happen in Chicago. Uh, Were you surprised to hear the Ali chants? The people were so fired up to see him. I don't know if it was just the fact that it was a surprise. It caught them off guard or if I think they, they I think really they believe in this dude. They, they were
2: they were surprised. I wasn't sure what to make of it at first because you know, we have we got a couple of guys that have left WWE or are no longer with WWE, however you want to phrase it, and are jumping through all these promotions and are just checking off the boxes. Mustafa Ali is one of them. Nick Emmett is another one. He's got a match in New Japan coming up. And so you don't know at this point with the unpredictability of anything, it feels like all bets are off and there aren't a whole lot of events coming up in which they can make a whole lot of reveals in new Japan. So I think we've kind of got the table set for now uh, with Mustafa Ali. I'm really excited. I'm also incredibly excited for the fresh matches for Hiromu uh, because he has been wrestling the same guys or guys, at a certain level for a very long time, and I think Mustafa Ali is an incredibly underrated wrestler. So the fact that he's coming in here and they're putting him in his hometown of Chicago against Romu Takahashi in a special singles match is in a huge vote of confidence, and I think totally earned.
1: The what was the idea behind the video? It was like a there was like a presidential kind he of. You want to
2: win the approval of. The fans and the voters, and he's campaigning because it's campaign year of twenty (laughs) twenty
1: four. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Another. This isn't really as newsworthy from a what happened perspective, but Julia, who we had never seen live before, uh, I've only seen clips of her. I've never seen a full match of hers. And she faced Trish Adora, and I, I watched Trish Adora, and we saw this with uh, Queen uh, Amanita as well. They're like, man, how come they're not in AEW? Like, they're just as good or better than a lot of the women in AEW right now. And Julia, I, I'm not sure if I could, you know, I'd probably have to watch more matches. I think I was way more impressed with her look. Her composure, the way she stands out—like there are things about her that that scream star. The poise, um, the Definitely. poise, the, the character, all of those things. She's so has such a unique look. So uh, I think you know she stands out. You see her and you go, okay, I get it. Uh, and and the wrestling was good. I don't know if they had the best chemistry together. Like there's a couple times where because Trishadora, she throws her right hand. Like a pitcher would throw a fastball, so she picks up her left foot and she leans her left foot, and then she brings her right hand, sort of like over the top, like someone, you know, like a pitcher throwing a fastball. <laughs> and the timing—oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. She she, she like, would duck too early, and then the like a punch beat would too come. Slow. Yes, and, uh, well, the yeah. punch would come, and because Julia had already moved out of the way, Trish would have to shorten the punch so that she didn't shoot hit her in the face and so that was off a couple of different times And you know there were there was a couple of things I but, it, it didn't, but you
2: explained it well enough that i wasn't sure what had happened but i didn't yeah. knew that like the uh the coordination was off the timing was off
1: but I, you can just sense that uh julia is special so uh yeah that that was really cool uh, and you know we were talking about this after the show was over which is that san jose uh, and, and i guess if you're going to go to a new japan strong show a new japan american show mean, Tokyo show, Dome West right but you have to you you are you are a more of a hardcore fan you know the the rant. you know we're going to go or i i think um i think raw is going to be here in like a month or uh, a little bit over yeah, a month
2: like the 20th or whatever That's yeah
1: good. and so i'll be at that show and there are a lot of people who are going to be in that building. They're probably going to be ten thousand people in that building.
2: I'm and, the road to WrestleMania. It's going to be packed.
1: And and I would say seventy five percent of those fans probably didn't even know that there was a show in San Jose. Like like it's just a different audience, right? So San Jose has a hardcore wrestling fan base for the two thousand people who were there or whatever. Like they, they knew who she was or at least knew that enough to know that they should be interested in who she was. So I was I was happy at the reception that she got. It kind of made me feel good about the fans that we were with who knew her. So that was cool. And yeah, I, I just want to see more. Like that's what I, I came out going like, I want to see more. And I also want to see more of uh Trisha Adora. as well. Yeah. I thought she was uh she was she was just so different. She's really tall, she's aggressive, she's vocal. Uh, I thought she I thought she stood out really well.
2: Aminata, Trisha Adora, and Athena are all women that should be all over the AEW women's division, and they're not. And I hope in 2024 that changes because I'm not sure what room there is for Trisha Adora on the New Japan roster besides these every three months. Yeah. Uh, the New Japan show, so uh hopefully there's a pivot point maybe they can do some type of continental classic for the women and that way they can pivot some of these new japan women and and maybe make some more matches uh with the aew women over over there in new japan that might be an idea that they could do uh as for julia she's great I really want to see that match between her and Stephanie Vakur that's mm-hmm. going to happen uh, after Viker won her pre-show match against Viva Fan. Also a really good match. You should make your way out to see that on YouTube. Uh, that might be Julia's last match before she goes off to other pastors uh, up north or not in Japan. Uh,
1: so I guess the other thing, unless unless I missed something and let me know if I have, but uh, I would say... The other thing surrounding this show is just the fact that Osprey's on his way out as far as being... We got riddle.
2: We got Riddle on the Cop match.
1: Yeah, that was really good. That, that that was up to that point that was the best match that that had been on the card and then it was perfect. Wrong reaction for everybody. Everybody was happy to to the
2: bro chant were, were loud but not overwhelming uh everyone seemed to be pretty much right that jeff cobb was the opponent and then uh big props to bad dude tito he really showed out tonight yeah uh, with an opportunity against the other guys he's got something he does he really does so yeah just great match that that tag team match sorry take it back to you
1: no uh great no it's a good point because we were wondering about the reception for Riddle. Because he has the bro chant, I think the fans were very preoccupied with the bro chant. It overrode any. I, I, we didn't really hear any booze for him, so it overrode any of that. There were some people who probably were not really reacting too much, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: there was enough there with the bro chant, and he was he was great. I thought you know he he you know the thing about Matt Riddle he was so awesome on the indie scene before he went to WWE. And so he would have all these matches and, you know, he's Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. And him and Jeff Cobb as a tag team. So he was working with like high, high level guys before he even made it to WWE. So he just fell right back in. And when you're working with Zack Sabre Jr. Who he's probably had, you know, 10 matches or 20 matches against already in on the Indies. It hit catch point, Dave. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, he just fell right back into everything. Like he, he did, he felt a little bit like a former WWE guy, but I thought because I've seen him on the Indies a lot and in person a lot, I was just like, Oh yeah. He just fell right back into what he was before he went to WWE
2: he of all the guys that have made their reappearances from WWE from the last three months I think he has the most opportunity to shake the clown persona that they that they were portraying him as on the show and to be a bit more of a maybe have a little bit of a comedy but a little more serious of a shooter with uh with a little bit of charisma rather than like, gotta play up I'm a goofball stoner idiot ha ha
1: ha yeah and so, stay out of trouble too like a yes, big please, thing. just just
2: <laughs> let, let what you do in the ring be reflective of how people respond to what you do uh, is, is my advice to Matt riddle uh, after that you know it's like he's got plenty of opportunities if this is what we're gonna get out of Matt riddle going forward for however long he's going to be in New Japan, I am totally okay with it. This was a fantastic match, and he fit
1: right in. Uh, and I think you know he's got this match coming up with Tanahashi, so we'll see how invested they are in him. Based on And just like uh, Jack Perry,
2: he could be in the New Japan Cup too. You know, like, I think
1: he's supposed to be, isn't
2: he? He he might be. I haven't heard for sure. Sh- I haven't I haven't heard anything official anywhere other than just rumors here and there. So I'm just. I'm operating that until I see that thing that he is for sure in there i'm not I'm not living on anything for sure,
1: <laughs> yeah, and then the only thing I'll add about the Osprey promo is I thought it was uh excellent, the passion mm-hmm. he uh, sometimes i I still find it a little hard to understand everything that he's saying, but he has turned into a really good promo and he ended the night. Uh, very well, I thought, as far as you know the new japan they you know I was so young and and irresponsible, and they let me kind of grow into who I am today and you know he talked about you know growing up and issues uh w- with his uh, I, I guess education and and learning like he he used the word autism and uh, he used the word actually autistic, and I turned to you and I said, "Did you hear that?" And you, and then I was like, "Or did he say artistic?" But I was reading in the Discord that he's brought up that maybe he had some undiagnosed autism in his uh, when he was younger. However, yeah, you know, I, my wife, uh, her job is to uh, diagnose. Uh, special needs children for their educational mm-hmm. purposes. So, I—I I mean, I don't know. Obviously, uh, he may—he may have had some stuff going on, or, or still does. I don't. That doesn't. Yep. It's not like you escape that it.
2: Spectrum is wide and varied, and there's no like single box that you can just put everybody who has those those uh, who's diagnosed with it in some way, shape, or form. It, it's not linear. It's not you know, two people have the same, have the same issues with it. So he could very, have very uh light issues on the spectrum and still be able to operate at a completely high functioning level that no one else could possibly do. It's entirely possible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we're going to get through, we'll go through the matches pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh But before that, just want to shout out uh on, uh so it's already Sunday for everybody <laughs> listening to this or watching this. Thank you, uh, the the the, <laughs> the the power bombshells are doing show number one hundred uh, at ten a.m. one p.m. Eastern. Uh, so that is show one hundred for for Mel and Sam. So congrats on on there. I think I'm going to try and do a run in at some point. I
2: don't
1: know um, why. <laughs> Maybe not <the> time. <laughs> uh, so uh, that you know, look look for that. Uh, the show is already up on on the YouTube. You can set your notification. I'm doing a show Tuesday night. Uh, it is the, you know, we like to have a history show on the network. And this year's history show is not myself and John Rock. I'm actually inviting my buddy Brandon Draven on. And we are tackling the year of 1989. Now, the reason why we chose that um, is because... Dave Meltzer's 1989 Observers are actually out in book form, so I had never had access to these Observers before, and they they're out there on Amazon. So if you want to follow along with 1989, we will be doing that. We'll we'll be doing a monthly show, so we will tackle January. That will also be on the the podcast feed uh, as a bonus show. So if you miss the live uh, YouTube show, it, it will be in podcast form. And then you and Stephen Steven Conway will come back Thursday, and you'll have more stuff about Battle in the Valley, because he'll have watched the TV version. Yes,
2: sir. He's gonna, we're going to do the good old-fashioned live recap versus the televised recap. Maybe we'll bring somebody on that was also at the show, have some feedback from them. I'm gonna try and work that out. Who knows? We're gonna see. We're gonna see what we can pull off with the, uh, with the good old review preview of all things New Japan. Ninety minutes, five thirty Eastern Thursday.
1: All right. Tell me about these pre-show matches. Uh, I, I did not get there until right before no. the show started.
2: Oh no! You. I will say the first match you did not miss much. It was Matt Vandegrift versus Goldie. It went about six minutes. It was. Basically an NFT match. Uh, just a couple of guys in the LA dojo uh, in their craft, sometimes taking a little bit extra time on these moves <laughs> that if you were a little more experienced, it would be a little more crisper. Take a little more time. Would have gone five minutes and 30 seconds instead of six minutes and 10, that kind of thing. It was an all right match, but the real one would have been the Stephanie Vaker versus Viva Van match, which went about 10 minutes, ended about five minutes before the main show. This was a hard-hitting women's match. Uh, I would argue that it should have been on the main show. Mm -hmm. Stephanie Vicker needs to have more eyes on her. She's incredibly talented. I've heard a lot of good things about Viva Van, and this was my first time watching her, and she held her own. It was a very uh, CMLL-style lucha match. Uh, A lot of rope work, a lot of hard-hitting mat work as well, and I would recommend it. You can watch it free on Triller or on YouTube. This is a match you do not need to pay to watch.
1: All right. So the show opened Jake Fatu, Fred Rosser, Shota Umino versus Team Filthy, Tom Lawler, Jorel Nelson, Royce Isaac. So awesome to see Tom. I always love seeing Tom. He's uh, such a nice dude. Uh, and so why don't you describe, because the thing that you're bringing to the table is, New Japan is your beat. So you know sure. all the ins and outs of, of what's going on. Uh, I know at the end of this match, there was a special uh, slap, <laughs> handshake, <laughs> or whatever happened. Uh, and, and so you can explain what happened after Shota Umino won the match.
2: Oh, the slap, right. I was like, "What's? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. So Team Filthy lost to Rosser, Jacob Tattoo, and Shota Umino. Fred Rosser is the heart and soul of the LA dojo right now. Jacob Fatu is of MLW and APW making his debut here in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then we have our own favorite Shota Umino, Son of Red Shoes, New Japan's favorite son. And they defeated Juro Nelson, Roy Science, and Filthy Tom Lawler. West Coast Wrecking Crew started to have frayed relationships with Tom Lawler. And it seems like they are at... Uh, Wits end with each other, and that could be something that we see here in Chicago. But after the match was over, the two- or three-year feud between Tom Lawler and Fred Rosser over the strong title, over various different issues, seemed to come to an end when Rosser offered his hand in a shake. jor Nelson and Roy Isaac did not want Filthy to shake that hand. He pushed them out of the way. He slapped Fred immediately in the face. Fred slapped him right back, (laughs) They shook hands, and now they're friends. Maybe they will be a tag team against West Coast Wrecking Crew.
1: Wow. You also saw Red Shoes this weekend.
2: I did. I ended up, long story, I ended up at the New Japan Hotel. And I had to drop something off to somebody, and he was in the lobby. And Garrett, my life is complete because when Red Shoes is not in the ring, <laughs> he is walking around in red socks and red slippers.
1: He's living the and gimmick. I'm
2: like, absolutely live the gimmick. You have owned it. I believe in you, even more so than I did
1: before. <laughs> um, all right. uh Mascara Dorada, Voldor Jr. beat Rocky Romero and Sobrano Jr. So this was a CMLL match on a New Japan show. Sure. What were your thoughts on this one?
2: It was a lot of fun. This is basically getting you ready for Fantastica Mania, which is going to have English commentary for the first time in February. A lot of these guys are going to be on New Japan World for those matches, which is going to be five or six shows over the course of a week, right before the New Japan Cup. If you enjoyed this CMLL-level main event, then you need to check out the Fantastic Mania stuff, because that's basically going to be all those matches all the time for about a week.
1: Good match. David Finley defeated Boo TJP <laughs> Boo uh, in a in a I don't even know how long this match was, but um,
2: thirteen minutes and seven seconds.
1: TJP got a lot of offense. TJP is a good wrestler. I do not root for TJP. I do not like TJP. Uh, but this was that there are a lot of people who don't like the David Finley character either. So I think this was a, a a little bit of a tougher watch for, for some folks. But uh, David Finley won the match, and uh, he moves on as the American in New Japan who is getting pushed very hard.
2: Let's see if we can do this in a minute or less, Garrett. At New Year Dash, after Wrestle Kingdom, TJP's partner Akira was assaulted by the rest of Bullet Club, David Finley's group, the War Dogs. He was beaten brutal and senseless just before Will Osprey volunteered him for a five on five cage match on February 11th. TJP took this match because Akira freaked out and went home and he said, I need, I'm taking this match and I'm going to show David Finley a lesson. Well, TJP is a junior heavyweight and David Finley is the global heavyweight champion. And you can go a little while as a junior heavyweight versus a heavyweight. But eventually, the heavyweight is going to beat your ass. Yeah. Eventually, David Finley beat his ass.
1: I called him an American. He is technically a German-born Irish-American is how he is described. But he is the non—
2: I, I what, a fourth-generation pro wrestler? Is he fourth or third?
1: Good question. I don't know. I don't even I know. He's fourth. Uh, okay, so then— <clears throat> Uh the next match was the uh your your best friends, the gorilla. Yeah, friends of, of strong
2: style, Gorilla of Destiny, and okay, Fantasco.
1: When you guys did that interview, how long were they on, by the way?
2: 30 minutes. Wow. They, I, I I clocked it and I said, okay, we hit 30 minutes. I'm letting them go. <laughs> that was it. I didn't know I would just ask them questions until we were done.
1: Now like, this <laughs> this match was for the strong open weight tag team championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they defeated the uh, Bullet Club War Dogs, Clark Connors and Alex Coglin. Both Clark Connors from the last time I I saw him live, he is a little bit bigger. Uh, but Alex Coglin, like he's got traps on top of traps, and these guys are in fantastic shape, but not not in fantastic shape enough because they lost to uh, they they lost to your best friends here.
2: It seemed to be a match that was kind of predetermined because you had Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd as a tag team and you have Clark Connors and Jerome Maloney as a tag team. So when you partner the other two and think that they're going to win a, the pair of tag titles, it doesn't quite make sense. You also got uh, Kenta and Chase Owens going after one of the, the titles in Japan. So this was a great spotlight match. El Fantasmo, El Fantasmo and Hikaleo, frankly speaking are a lot of fun to watch as a pair and they have a great charisma and chemistry with each other. And it was not a group that uh, or a pairing that a lot of people thought, Oh, that's really going to have some legs, but having a great time with it and just need to keep the train moving on this one.
1: So I want to shout out uh, the great Fowler who has joined the chat. Uh, Check out, Jay's story at thegreatfowler.com, if you wish, but shout out to Jay. Uh also uh Matt B. Matt B is, is in the chat I as met. well. I, Matt hey, Matt B said that uh Phantasma was amazing when he saw him live years ago, so he's happy to see his success. What he, there there are some folks who do not like him for some reason? Uh, I don't know if it's because of just the young the style, yeah. Sure. The the style and I, and when he was a heel, obviously, he was really good at his job. So I think, I think some of that is also there as well. But, I, you know, the times that I've seen him, I sort of get why the folks who don't like him don't like him. But I also think he's pretty darn good as well. So He
2: was working overtime with the fan during the World Tag League on all those shows that no one was watching. The amount of work that he was doing to get those crowds like Work like riled up and like excited for the show and not just the "Ah, but like creative like just getting him going with like the the energy in the ring
0: Mm -hmm. uh
2: really turned around uh that face that face dynamic for him like he he just took it to a new level
1: so we mentioned julian Mm trishadora uh that was for the strong women's championship and more than likely uh, that is going to lead to Julia and Stephanie Vacare. It uh, was
2: confirmed online. Uh, oh, earlier, was it after after the match that that would be the next match? Did they say when they're going to do it? No, okay. but she is next in line for the title against Julia.
1: And the match we you know, we kind of talked about this as well: Chosen Bros against uh, TMDK. At up to this point, uh, I think this was the best match on the show. Just a fantastic fun tag team match it's not like there were any stakes involved here there were no titles involved it was literally matt riddle is in new japan and uh jeff cobb and bad dude tito i was asking i was like are these guys these guys have beef like what's going on because it was like you know they were fired up to face each other right when uh, cobb comes in the ring <laughs> he was asking uh bad dude tito Uh, what? Uh, how how much do bench press? Like he's like, (laughs) uh, like do you? He's like the pantomiming like these uh these workout these uh lifts and and stuff, which was which was, was pretty funny.
2: You can go to Cage Match and you can type in Jeff Cobb and Bad Dude Tito, and there are a handful of matches out there from New Japan that they've been in with each other. Find them and watch them because it's more of the same of what you saw here. But I will say that Bad Dude Tito has elevated himself another level from the last time I saw him.
1: He was awesome.
2: He was – he's always been great. He's he's been fantastic for a long time, but he looked unbelievable tonight. Just fantastic.
1: All right, which puppy is this here?
2: This is Cole. He – he wants to go to bed and he does not understand <laughs> that it's not happening quite
1: yet. All right, Cole. We'll 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 be we'll be done in five minutes, Cole. Just five just minutes, buddy. Up.
2: Five minutes. You're gonna hang out with me right here, okay?
1: Uh Eddie Kingston and Gabe Kidd. We haven't talked about this match. Uh they these guys How about the
2: reaction for Eddie Kingston.
1: Yeah, I, I tweeted out the the top reactions uh, just to the opening intro video and i forgot to put eddie in there but the crowd was in love with eddie they were so fired up though there was a heckler behind us who did not like eddie so he was trying to get he's trying to have like conflicting chants about eddie and how much eddie sucks in, in wrestling um but this match uh, was craziness now i will say John La Rock and I were kind of joking about this on the Fight Game podcast. Yes, you were <laughs> about the style of the match, which, and how many chops and one, and then Eddie's going to pull his, you know, pull his singlet down and expose his chest. And the, I could have done without some of that. I think they went a little overboard with it. Like I much prefer the way that Osprey and Okada kind of did that mm-hmm. in their match where it's the, you know, the toughness, like who's tougher. I don't like starting the match like that. Just, you know, who can take the most chops? It seems really silly if the idea is to win this match and, you know, you get into that stuff without, it, without anything leading up to it. And they went back to it several times. Gabe Kidd is very vocal. He's very, uh, his, his facial expressions. He's very convincing as a guy who's always angry and always pissed off.
2: He's very emotive. He's he's very much able to convey like he's an angry son of a bitch.
1: Yeah, and this show was really built to, you know, showcase these dudes as like heels, right? As, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, they they were the bad guys of this show. So the match ends up in a, uh, was it a double count out or something? Yes.
2: It was a 20 countout. Uh, Eddie was going to jump back into the ring and Gabe talked shit to him. And then he came back to beat him up some more and the ref counted to 20. Most of the times when this happens, the audience doesn't like it.
1: Booze, yeah.
2: They didn't have a problem with it at this show. Like they were just like, you know what? We've had a ton of cool shit. This is okay. And I think inherently after seeing everything announced already for Windy City up to that point with Hiromu and reading between the lines on a couple of these other matches, I think a lot of people came to the conclusion that you're going to get Eddie versus Gabe Kidd in Chicago as well in a no DQ match. And you're just like, yeah, okay. I, I, I could do this one more time. They yeah. did something last year with Kenta and Fred Rosser. They had a disqualification at the San Jose show, and then uh, followed up with the next match, and it was a no disqualification. So it was kind of in their blueprint. It's just kind of dragging the story out, so Eddie doesn't have to drop the belt anytime soon before next year's Continental Classic. Just fine. <laughs> Gabe is a great opponent for Eddie Kingston. Those yeah. two, they were fantastic. It was just a lot of fun while it was happening.
1: Yeah, no, it, it worked for exactly what they were looking for. However, if you are somebody who Watches wrestling and goes, well. I just saw a bunch of crazy stuff, and then the next match is even more crazy stuff. I don't think it hurt here, though. Having you know the 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 count out and then leading into what is a no DQ match, uh, you know, thematically, I could see somebody thinking like, ah, eh, maybe they should have split these matches up a little bit. But Moxley and Shingo was ridiculous and it was nuts and it was blood and it was the black or green mist or whatever and it was
2: it was ad- advertised
1: <laughs> taking moves through tables it was uh made in japan where we're thinking okay that that, the match is over nope the we got surprised mox hit mox went through his series of moves and then shingle kicked out of that so fans were kind of going crazy to that and then like you said you got the you got the pinfall which was probably maybe slightly after the peak of the match but hey yep. they were they were going for it um and then you had the mox promo she go
2: so... dressed in funk or dusty or who
1: was he yeah uh... yeah he had the he had the 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 white t-shirt with with the cut off sleeves and he had the blue jeans and then he had the knee pads over the blue jeans, which is always my favorite when it comes to these matches. <laughs> uh, John LaRocca said, yeah, did, you know, bunkhouse stampede, dusty. He did, I don't think he had cowboy boots on, though. That would have been the only thing. Yeah,
2: it reminded cow- me of Terry Funk, and I wasn't sure if it was more Funk or dusty. Um, the thing about this match is if the card ended right after the John Moxley match, and we had gotten everything up to this point, and we had all gone home, this still would have been an amazing, amazing card. But it wasn't over.
1: Yes. Now, depending on what you thought, some of it is going to be style of wrestling that you like most. Um, I think some people will think that the Moxley and Shingo match was better. Uh, I do think that I don't know if it would be 50-50. Maybe some will lean a little bit more towards the main event just because of the who was in the main event. But you had Okada, you had Will. And they started out, I think, a little bit slower than some people had anticipated. But I think the reason that they did is because, again, how can you follow the craziness that you saw before? Well, let's get it back in the ring. Let's Let's kind of you know, slow things down a little bit because we have to build up to something again and we cannot get those fans immediately right back into something. Cause we're going to wear them out. We're going 30 minutes or however long this match went. And I just thought, you know, cause I, we have the immediate comparison of Danielson and Okada and uh, my buddy big D we were talking about this in discord and by you know, I don't know, three quarters of the match, he was like, "Oh, this show's, be- this this show, especially the two main events, were ev- was even a better show than Russell Kingdom," and that was his thought before the main event was even over. And I was like, "Well, I kind of really liked that Danielson Okada match," and he's like, "No, this match is better." And I was like, "Well, we'll see. We again, we were only three quarters of the way through. By the end of the match, I did agree with him. I thought this mm-hmm. was slightly better." Than Danielson Okada. But that is just shows you how crazy this is because you just called it Russell Kingdom West or whatever you called it Tokyo earlier. Tokyo Dome West. Tokyo Dome West. Like we we, you know, I you joke, can, but I beat it when I say it. <laughs> you you can compare the two shows. The Tokyo Dome show was what, 10 days ago or whatever? Like it was it was 10 days ago. Brian Danielson
2: and Okada went 23 minutes, right? Sonata and Naito went 25 minutes. John Mosley and Shingo Takagi went 26 minutes and Okada and Danielson went 28. We got longer matches, potentially better matches than we got on Wrestle Kingdom.
1: Okada finally won with the Rainmaker, but they had there was some pretty impressive stuff. Okada went for a Rainmaker which Will turned into a Spanish Fly. Uh, They each did each other's moves and uh, I think Okada hit the stormbreaker and he sat there on his ass for 30 seconds with his mouth agape like when this was didn't get the pin. like this was an NXT show. <laughs> and he just, he sat there like a statue.
2: <laughs> just, Everybody got their photo. If you see the mouth agape photo of Okada, it's because everyone had ample opportunity.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, he hit his dropkick uh a couple times. One of them was as they uh, as as he was going for the hidden blade and and yeah then then the raymond it was it was this awesome there was
2: there was one drop kick attempt that i think has burned into my brain now and it was from the angle that we were at okada was going for the drop kick and will hit the rope and came back and pulled okada into a smooth power ball then went straight down in the ground. And I think I yelled, Oh my God, with the way <laughs> with how quickly and how smooth it looked. I, I don't think anyone could ever do it any better.
1: Uh, so, you know, by comparison, well, you and I talked about this when it comes to live wrestling matches, match you've been in person to where does, where do those two matches rank on that list? And was Matt B who is in the chat reminded me that I was at, m j. F. and Danielson, which I would say overall is a better match because of how long they went, the way that they got there, the creativity. But I will say, my style of match is what we saw tonight. I like that style of match more than I like an Iron Man match more than I like you know the a, a gimmick match or a stipulation match. If you ask me what kind of wrestling match is do I want to see it's what we got tonight. So even though like if we're sort of doing the star ranking thing, I get it if if that that match you you, you probably rank it a little bit higher but you know, I've seen both Undertaker Shawn Michael WrestleMania matches live. This was probably better than both of those though watching those matches with 50, 60,000 people is a little bit different than, you know, watching it with 2,000 people. Um, I watched the famous or maybe even now infamous Jericho and Benoit versus Austin and Triple H mm-hmm. Raw match. I was there live for that match. There were, there's a myriad of AEW matches that we've seen live uh, just at the shows we've gone to. Yeah,
2: I was like, I was trying to think when you were talking about it, like, I think I've seen at least five between all the AEW pay-per-views that we've gone to, both the Anarchy and the Arenas, the Danielson uh, Mo- uh the Danielson MJF match, a other matches in there. And it's just like I'm almost embarrassed because like I can't recall these things. And it's like <laughs> the embarrassment of riches of some of these matches that I've seen in my life. But I will always gravitate to a singles one on one match being my favorite type of five star match. If you want to give a five stars to an Anarchy in the Arena or like a multi-man match, more power to you. I just but don't the...
1: remember enough about those matches when they're sure. done because there's so, there's, you're just throwing so much stuff out there. The coordination
2: to pull that off with a multiple amount of people
1: is one thing. Yeah, but to pull be off
2: between just two people a flawless wrestling match is so incredibly, so much harder because all of it relies on you two. There's not parts that you can take a break and relax and do here that's there. I think because of my relationship with New Japan and my investment with New Japan rather than with AEW, which is more of a love-hate relationship, if I'm being honest, (laughs) (laughs) I think think this one is probably going to go down as my favorite Okada match that I've ever seen, probably my favorite Will Ospreay match that I've ever seen. Jay White and Okada
1: at Madison Square Garden, how much of that match do you remember?
2: I remember a lot of it, and that's why I'm talking about it right now in the way that I am, because that is one of those matches that I need to rewatch Yeah. because I remember it being very very good, but I also remember being very tired and also annoyed about other factors in that show.
1: That was me. I was so exhausted by the end of that show, just because of all the stuff we had done the, the night before and all the shows we, we had been to. That is, that is the one thing about WrestleMania weekend and going to all those shows. If you don't get sleep, you you're just like sleepwalking through this stuff. And it's so hard. And I, I get bummed out. Cause I'm like, man, I want to watch it all. Mm-hmm. And then I go to an NXT show. and I need to walk around the building because I'm ready to fall asleep in my, in my seat, you know? Yeah. Um, Go ahead.
2: I don't know what the next live show I'm going to see, but I'm really glad this is the last live show that I have on my dog. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I know. So we also on Saturday, we got to hang out uh, a little bit with a uh, new Japan announcer uh, Walker Stewart. Now I don't want to yeah. really talk about his story. You know, we, we did talk to him, but you know, at some point I hope that he, Joins you, and and I'm sure you can ask him all. But I mean, the fact that this dude is 21 years old, mm-hmm. and he's calling New Japan, and I thought he was really good at Russell Kingdom. Um, I didn't obviously didn't get to hear this show, but he's working with Veda uh, Scott on this show. I know, I know, Filthy was doing some as well. Uh, you know, there's the idea that this dude is that young and is calling this product, which is probably my favorite product, even though I don't get to watch as much of it as I do the, the two other companies. I just think it's fantastic. And, you know, you almost get a little protective of it. Cause I look at this guy and I'm like, both of my sons are older than him, <laughs> you know, but, but I also understand where they are in their lives. And so it helps me sort of realize where he may be in his life. Right. So, so, uh, you know, I would just root for that guy. I root for him. he's a good kid. He's he's he is a young man in a gr- in a grown adult business with people who both want to support him and look out for him and others who do not. <laughs> and he's going to have to figure out those uh, you know, the, those waters, so yeah, uh, but just wanted to, you know, just want to say that you know, it was really cool talking to him because it, it's you know, think about him like he's, you know, what wrestling did he grow up? Oh, probably 2010s <laughs> WWE, right? <laughs> and that's the stuff that I don't even remember what happened, but it's just it's fascinating.
2: I bet him and Scott Young could have a great uh, trivia off about the, uh, the random stuff that happened back.
1: You know, you know who else Scott E wrestling Scott E wrestling is in his 20s. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure
2: Walker and Scott have already spoken and and done their show together. Uh, They, they, they are probably peaking a pod.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine so. But uh, anyways, I just wanted to give him a shout out.
2: I will. The one thing I will say about Walker Stewart is I was so impressed with him just his ability to just take in all the information that I just, I saw him taking in throughout the weekend. I mean, and we were then, with
1: Meltzer too. And yeah, so and it it's just, like a lot of information.
2: There are people our age that I don't think can process the information and handle things the way that he is handling them. And it is not an age thing. It is a competency thing and it is an mm-hmm.
0: intelligence
2: thing. And yeah. so I am, I am so happy to see a fresh voice uh that can do the job and trailblaze, and that's kind of what I called him. It it's like you're kind of a trailblazer. You're not you're not like a one in a million. You're kind of the first. And there are gonna be a lot of people following you who grew up and learned how to do this as part of the generational thing rather than like, oh, wow, you're so young. I'm like, no, no, this is this is technology, and this is, this is the advancement and a generational thing that a lot more people, a lot younger, are going to have these opportunities, and I'm not necessarily sure they're going to be as good as Walker when they get the
1: chance. Yeah, and announcing historically is sort of like an older person's game because you just, once you find that voice, that voice is so familiar with the audience, it just sort of grows with the voice. Like, think of how long... Uh, Jim Ross was the voice and he, you know, he's still doing it though. He's not able to do it as well or as much anymore. Uh, you know, Tony Schiavone just got the lead job uh, again and I don't think he's good at all, but you know, he's trusted to lead the broadcast, I don't exactly know how old Excalibur is, but he's probably um, around he's our age,
2: maybe. Like, that's, maybe that's, I, that's early
1: forties. That's what I would guess. Yep. Taz Taz is older. He's his own, his own son is wrestling. That's old Taz's Booker T and WWE. I I guess uh, Vic Joseph looks young. I don't know how young he is. Kevin
2: Patrick, I would, Vic Joseph.
1: Yeah, those guys are the 20s. younger guys. But you know, Matt uh, Michael Cole, who you know, it was funny when Walker was saying how uh, that's like. The voice of his generation is Michael Cole's like, oh, yeah, like that would be the voice of your generation, voice because... of
2: many generations.
1: <laughs> yeah. So anyways, uh, but no, that was fun. So blast to, it was, to it talk a, to it about it. A good weekend for New Japan. I thought
2: I thought they had a mission statement for 2024 that uh, that is decidedly different than what they've been doing up to this point.
1: Yep. And. Those uh, new beginning shows, you know, I don't know that I'll watch every show front to back like you, but Mm -hmm. um, there's some there's some matches to cherry pick out of those shows that I'm definitely super interested to watch. So
2: and with that app, you can just pick up a match and watch the one you're looking for and just move on with your day.
1: And you will be covering all of these shows in uh, 2024. So I'm hoping for you and for Steven that these shows are great so that you guys will have a lot of fun to talk about.
2: Oh, I honestly, I just love talking new Japan with Steven. He's (laughs) so much fun and we have fun with the audience and, and the whole thing. We do the spiel at the the beginning with the light, the subscribes and share the show and talk about it. And I think people do. And it, it warms my heart. And I, I like that people, like our conversations about new Japan pro wrestling, we don't want to shit on the product, we don't want to shit on the wrestler if we don't want to shit on anything. we want to talk about the things that are good and workshop the things that are bad, and it's just it's fun,
1: you know and you and somebody recognized you from that show today yeah. that was that was kind <laughs> of that. cool so uh, yeah, do so you guys you know
2: I think we're when you get strong style, I guess we're talking about it,
1: yeah, when the show is good and you got you know you you had made a comment to me earlier today you're like well i'm not a journalist i'm just doing this as a passion but new japan is your beat that's how you treat it you know the product up and down and you know the stories up and down so while you don't you know no no podcaster is really a journalist but the way that you treat the product is how somebody who is doing a weekly new japan show should treat the product and probably even more because I, you know, I have to watch all these things, and I'm like, I don't think I'm getting to collision this weekend. Like, I just can't see how I can get there, and I feel bad about it. But at the end of the day, somebody else will have watched enough, and I will have known enough to to talk about it competently. But I'm like, oh god, like I don't, I hate getting behind. But oh well, this is, when you have so I, much product these days, it's it's so hard.
2: I always love the breathless. Whatever I see, Dave, it's like, have you seen the match? I'm like, yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: I was it like it's good. You should it, you should make a point to see it.
1: Yeah, no, it's good. All right. Thanks for doing this. Thank um, you. Um thank you to all the people who are hanging out with us so late as well. Late, late for us, maybe early for some other people. But um so this will be uh this was a good thing. I we didn't even talk about doing it until the Moxley match, and I was like, okay, maybe we're probably gonna have to t- t- possibly talk about this show. <laughs> Um, But no, I appreciate you doing this and good luck with uh, your Thursday show. And like I said, Mel and Sam, Power Bombshells 100. And then I will be kicking off uh, the new history show, which is basically the re-debut of Observe This, which I tried to kick off a few years ago. And I was like, how does this separate from anything else I'm doing? But now I figured it out. Observe This is back. So, all right, for Jeremy uh i am uh double g oh we have one one more comment here here you go this is for you i didn't we're run into talk you
2: on thursday flaming i
1: shark. didn't run into you jeremy but battle in the valley it was really good i had a blast definitely my favorite of the three and last year's had a lot going for it for that's from the flaming shark directly hello flaming jeremy.
2: shark thank you for stopping in we're gonna talk more on thursday
1: all right for jeremy i am double g we will see you when we see you peace out